Good morning. Welcome to the last Sunday in the month of August. Amen. Next week, by this time, we would have entered into another new month, and that is September. And as we all know, September on our church calendar is our friends and family month. I hope you have enjoyed your Saturday thus far. It's good to see all of you in church. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning as we come before your word. We pray that your word will minister to us in simplicity, incline to your speech, yet in the fullness and in the power of your spirit. I ask the Holy Spirit you speak through me, think through me. Minister your word to your sins this very hour through me. In Jesus' name, amen. Please open your Bibles with me to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. Matthew chapter 5, verse 43 to 48. I believe most of us know Matthew's an easy find, so I believe we are all there. I read. It wasn't like today, this morning, we had to open to Amos for our Bible study. <laughs> All right. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies, bless those who curse you, do good to those who hate you, and pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. 45. That you may be sons of your father in heaven, for he makes the sun rise on the evil and on the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. 46. For if you have if you have love for those who love you, what reward have you? Do not even the task collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? Do not even the task collectors do so? Therefore, you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. Amen or O me. All right, based on our scripture reading, I'm preaching on what I've entitled Striving Towards Perfection. First and foremost, let's define the word perfection. Because I know when I mention the word perfection, some of us, our hearts will really drop. So what does perfection really mean? You know, perfection in our English language and perfection in that of the Bible have very two different meanings. When you talk about perfection in our everyday English language, right? Perfection means flawless or the total summation of all excellence and beauty, right? Do you have someone in mind when you think about that? You should think of me, amen. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm not perfect, amen. Not at all by any stretch of imagination. But when we look at the Bible word, when the Bible talks about perfection, it has quite a different take. Perfection just means maturity, Forming into Christ-likeness. And to form into Christ-likeness, it shows in the renewing of your mind and also in the formation of your character. Though that's what perfection is. So perfection in a Bible sense is not talking about flawless because if truth be told, you and I know that all of us are not flawless. I remember one time someone got married and he came to church, you know, after some time. It's like, why are you sad? It's like, Pastor, my wife is not perfect. <laughs> it's not the angel I thought she was. 
Uh, what were you expecting? Amen. I said, well, you are a bit too late. You should have discovered that even two days after the honeymoon. But the thing is that nobody is perfect. We are all flawed. We all make mistakes. And we are very much mistake prone. All right? I'm mistake prone. You are mistake prone. So God is not expecting us to have that sort of flawless perfection. But what God demands and desires of us as we've entered into a relationship with him is to grow in godliness each and every waking day. We have to, inch by inch, inch by inch, what does it say? Every 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 step is essential, something of that sort. We, we have to grow daily, make some accrued steps in our growth towards godliness on, on, a, on a daily basis. And that's what God demands of us. God doesn't demand that we are mistake-free. Because the truth be told, humans, we are all mistake prone and we will make mistakes. The last time we, make, we made a mistake was not last week. We are still going to be making mistakes until Christ comes. Amen. But God expects a measure of godliness in our relationship with him. Amen. So today's message is like going to the gym and doing the session you hit the most. You know, when you go to the gym, there are some sessions you might enjoy doing it. There are some sessions too that bring so much discomfort and so much pain to your body. But that is what will help you develop muscles. The discomfort, the pain in your body, and the aches is what will help you to develop muscles. I don't understand why you sign up for gym membership and you don't want to feel pain. When you go to gym membership, pain is your friend. If you go to the gym, you pay your annual membership and you go and you've not really sweated, you don't feel any pains in your thighs and in your arm and your back, you didn't go for a gym session. You just went for some relaxation. And that is why up to now, you will still see people with pot belly on the treadmill because it's not really working. The reason why it's not working is because you haven't learned how to increase your threshold for pain. If you are doing a gym session, once you don't feel pain, it means that place is developed. It's not going to add any more development to your body. You better increase the pain threshold. That's the purpose of gym. Gym, you always increase pain threshold. And it's in the pain and in the discomfort that you feel that you begin, you will begin to develop muscles. Amen. So today's message is like one of such. It's talking about some of the gym sessions that we may not like because it's discomforting. It brings a lot of pain to the body. But if we stick to it, such discomfort is necessary, like I said, in the development of our muscles. And it's also like food. Let me bring it down to maybe something we can even relate to. You know, you hate vegetables and water. <laughs> but you like to eat everything else. You would rather have sweets and all kinds of drinks, fizzy drinks, juices, whatever. And you will have sugar on top. But you and I know that when you consume all these things, it, it will just catch up with your body. And if you and I will want to have a healthy body and live healthily, 
you know that sometimes some people just make it funny you know you are eating all these sugars and all these things you say oh i sanctify it now when you sanctify it it just becomes sanctified junk that's all it doesn't change anything amen <laughs> when you pray over your food it doesn't take the calories out of the sugar or nothing it just sanctifies it it moves from sugar to sanctified junk and when you eat it you will still pack the calories and you will feel the effects of it on your body. Amen. So sometimes what I'm trying to say is that if we want to experience right things, if we want to experience profits and advantages and sins, we should be prepared to do what we call the hard rights. Not the easy rights, the hard rights. So now if I bring it back to nutrition, if you want to have a healthy body, if you want to live healthily and you don't want to pay the repercussions later, your diet matters. Green tea, very tasteless, you know, hard to drink, but it will pay off later. You know, sometimes we will have to lay off some of the whole milk. Some are getting offended already. Like, Pastor, I didn't come to church for this. Some are getting offended. I, I, whole milk, you are drinking all these things, and then later it, it will not pay off. So this sermon completely mirrors the two scenarios I shared. So Today, what we are going to talk about is about the hard rights, the hard rights. If we really want to strive towards godliness, where it will show in the formation of our character and the evidence of it is because we have renewed our mind by the word of God, uh, certain things need to be put in place. And sometimes it's not all that easy. Amen. So now, from what I've read, we've saw that it's Jesus's words. He was teaching. And the purpose of Jesus' teaching was he came to just disturb the theology of his audience. Jesus became a disruptor. You know, the, these Jews, they were all they were familiar about what Jesus was talking about, especially when he mentioned the words neighbors and enemies. The Jews knew. They are familiar with that. And Jesus confirmed their, their beliefs about their theology first. It has been said, it has been written. Love your neighbor, hate your enemies. Mind you, these Jews, they were descendants of Abraham. These Jews were the people who received the law. They received the commandments of God. These Jews, they ascribed to the writings of Moses. And the writings of Moses is also part of the Bible. It's canonized as part of the Bible. So they believed in the Bible. And Moses had preached to them a tooth for a tooth, an eye for an eye. You love your neighbor, you hate your enemies. So before Jesus became a disruptor, he confirmed their beliefs on their theology. That it has been said. Love your neighbor, hate your enemies. But... I, you see, Jesus ceased from here becoming the son of Mary. He ceased from becoming Jesus, the prophet. He ceased from becoming Jesus, the good man, the good teacher, and he became Jesus, the lawgiver. That's why he was able to speak on that authority. He disrupted their thoughts and said, but I say to you, and when Jesus said that, it brings to memory the prophecy of Isaiah. 
Isaiah gave a fourfold prophecy of who Jesus was going to be. If you read Isaiah chapter 33, verse 22, Isaiah said that the Lord, he will be our judge. He will be our lawgiver. He will be our king. And he will be our savior. He will save us. So the, 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 the rod out of the stem of Jesse he is not just going to come about and walk as a human being, but he will be as a judge, he will be as a lawgiver, he will be as a king, and he will be as a savior. And I believe at this very moment when Jesus was teaching, he was fulfilling those prophetic words of Isaiah. Jesus came as a lawgiver. That is why he could change the law. He said, you have heard it said, by the writings of Moses. And by the way, who gave Moses the law? It was Jesus. He said, but I, I say to you, I am the lawgiver. I have that authority. By me, the word exists. And without me, there is nothing called a word. I say unto you, love your neighbor and love your enemies. And that was a tough pill to swallow. When you are among a religious group of people and when you change their theology, you are likely to be seen a heretic. That was heresy. Because mind you, these Jews, they had practiced the law of Moses for more than 400 years. It's a long-standing tradition. It's a stronghold in their mind because they, they subscribe to the laws of Moses, under the old covenants, this is what they know. And they said that for something to, to be an ingrained thought, it has to take 21 days, three weeks. But can you imagine? This is not a three-week affair. This is more than 400 years. And then you see a Jewish man who is 30 years old, who talks with such sagacity and with such boldness and with such authority that I, I am saying, forget Moses, forget what you've heard. I am saying, this time, I am changing the law. It's not about loving just your neighbor, but also loving your enemy. That's heresy. So the average Jew, who was an enemy? An enemy is a different nationality. You know, Jews, they didn't intermarry, intermingle with other races outside Jewish people. And they saw those people as enemies. They also saw people who subscribe to different faiths as enemies. Even God gave strict instructions that one of the reasons why you should not enter into a league of alliance with other nations save Israel is because of their other gods. And one of the reasons why Israel went into so much captivity, so much problem, so much slavery, even after they had gained possession of the promised land in Canaan, was because of their alliance with other nations who had other gods. Amen. Even Solomon, who was a wise man, who quoted a lot of wise sayings, the Bible lets us know that when he began to marry strange women, non-Jewish women, his heart was lured away from God because of these foreign women who brought other 
got into the system. So someone who subscribes to a different faith, the Jews will see as an enemy, not a family member. If an average Jewish man, if you are not related by blood, he shares no kinship with you. He shares no kinship with you. He shares no relationship with you. And then another person who can be considered an enemy to an average Jew is an offender. Anybody who has caused an offense. So this time, the person could be a Jew. If you've caused an offense, you are my enemy. And I will apply the law of Moses, which is an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. And may I submit to you that don't just look at the Jewish people today, because that same mirror can be pointed to us. We might even be worse than the Jews. Because some of us, we are just in the same class as the Jews of Jesus' days. And who are our enemies? Averagely, our enemies can be different races. There are some black people who have never spoken to non-black people because of hatred. As someone who will be listening to me by, by podcast, you may be a white person and you have never spoken to a non-black because of hatred. Or you might be a Hispanic and you've never spoken to a non-black uh, no, a non-Hispanic was either black or white because of hatred. So you have hatred in your heart. You consider a different race as an enemy. Just because the person can't speak Spanish, you consider that person as a... You might be an Asian listening to me by podcasts, and just because the person can't speak the Asian language, that person might be an enemy. Or you might even term the person as a fool. And that's wrong. We don't have to see different races as enemies. Sometimes we can see different nationalities as enemies. I'm American. You are not American. We, we don't have any grounds. And that's wrong. I'm Asian. You are not Asian. We don't have any grounds. That is wrong. Sometimes we can see different political ideologies. Sometimes you can get along with someone until different political ideologies come to the table. And then right then, a wedge has been created. I'm a conservative. I'm a Democrat. That's all. It, there's a wedge. I'm pro-Trump. I'm anti-Trump. That's a wedge. Even among Democrats, there are even factions among Democrats. You know that some people like Joe. Some people don't like Joe. Well, it's, 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 it's so, so many things that brings division. I am a far right. You are a left wing. Different political ideologies. It brings a wedge. And sometimes society will tag these people as enemies. Why? Because we have different political ideologies. Different social causes. Different social causes can make enemies out of people. Black Lives Matter. I, am for, I, my, I support Black Lives Matter. I don't support Black Lives Matter. It, it, brings, it brings division. Some people too will say, I am a Blue Lives Matter person. Wow, you support the police. Some say, I don't support the police. It brings, it brings division. Some people, their social causes fund the police. Some are saying, defund the police. It brings a division. 
Some people are for affirmative action, a hot-button topic that has been headlining this country since June. Now, colleges and universities are supposed to use colorblind criteria for admission. Some are for, some are against. So you see, we have many things that bring division, pro-abortion, anti-abortion rights. Am I a traditionalist in case of the family setting, husband, wife, or am I modern? Or will I be okay with same-sex marriages? All these things bring division. And all these things can tag people as enemies. So different social causes, they are very hot-button topics that makes enemies out of each other. Different faith. I'm a Christian. You are a Muslim. You have nothing in common. It brings division. Non-family members. There are some people we behave like the Jews. If we don't have the same blood, we don't share kinship, we don't relate. And some people, their circle of, of relationships are always going to be very small because it is just you, my father, excuse me, my mother, and then probably maybe my cousins. You can't go beyond that to build and form relationships. And honestly, that is not healthy. And then I'm an offender. Maybe a friend. Well, so like this year, we are in August. The person that you wished Happy New Year, are you still talking to that person? Look at all the person you wish Happy New Year. Maybe by phone or by text. We are now in, on August, 27th August. Are you still on good terms with them or have they offended you? All these classify as enemies. So my point this morning is not to edit your list of enemies. That's what, what I came to do. I didn't come to serve as an editor. I didn't come to tell you who can be on your list as an enemy or who cannot. That's not my job. And that was also not Jesus's job either. He didn't come to edit the list of the enemies of the Jews. He didn't come to convince them that this guy should not be an enemy. This one should be a friend. That one. He didn't do that. And in the spirit of that thing, so would, uh, would I also not. And all those I've mentioned, fine, they can be enemies. But we have to look beyond our biases. We have to look beyond our traditions. We have to look beyond bad teaching and treat enemies the way Jesus wants us to. That is the message I want to drive from this morning. Amen. And sometimes one of the places where you can even make enemies can be the church. You will see a pastor who will say that this person has left the church. He's an enemy. Well, that's wrong. If the person has left the church and he hasn't left the faith, why would you consider him an enemy? And even if, 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 if the worst should happen, even if he has left the faith, why should he be an enemy? Should you not intercede for him? That's why the story like the, the prodigal son, those stories are in the Bible for us to learn. It's not for us to just understand the narrative. It's for us to apply it to our lives. Just as loving as our father is, we should also be loving. So my job today is to look at what Jesus would do. All these can be enemies. 
people may have offended you, different political ideologies, different faiths. How do you treat enemies? And Jesus mentioned four things. One, he wants us to love our enemies. And to love in this context means to wish well and regard the welfare of. Can you wish your enemy well? One thing I also want you to understand is that when you are a Christian, it's not only the devil and his fallen angels and demons that are your enemies. Human beings can also be your enemies. Because sometimes I can hear certain teachings in certain quarters that when you are a Christian, you don't have enemies. Your enemies are spiritual forces, rulers of darkness, like the scripture we quote in Ephesians chapter 6, which is true. The Bible says that, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, powers, rulers of darkness, spiritual hosts of wickedness and high places. Those are our enemies, fair and square. But you have natural enemies. And that also has to be said. So Jesus, by this story, did not also negate natural enemies. We have enemies. I am a pastor. I know I have enemies. And I am aware of my enemies. I know. It's not just the devil who is my enemy. Human beings, flesh and blood, can also be my enemies. But Jesus is not concerned about whether we have enemies or not. He is more concerned with our response towards those who can't stand us, our response towards those who hate us, our response towards those who even wish us ill and who wishes that we will even be dead. That's what Jesus is more concerned. He is not concerned about whether the Christian has enemies or not. We have natural enemies. And today, Jesus is speaking to us through the scripture. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. What Jesus said 2,000 years ago, he is still saying it today, and forever he is saying, Jesus is telling us this morning that we should love our enemies. And loving means to wish them well and to regard their welfare. To love your enemies. It's a tough one, I told you. There's a gym session. We don't want to do this. It's a tough one. But if we will ever want to come to a place of spiritual maturity, where we can say of a truth that we have this semblance with the author of our faith, who is Jesus Christ, we should be prepared to love our enemies. Don't wish them evil. Don't wish them ill. Love them. Wish them well. Yeah, they may have hurt you. Even the memory of them brings a lot of tears to you. For some of you, even certain people you term your enemies, they may be the cause of your PTSD. But today, Jesus is saying, love, wish them well. Regard their welfare. Regard their welfare. Feed them if they are hungry. Regard their welfare. Don't pay them evil for evil. Don't be religious and use certain scriptures to exonerate your action. You know, and we've become Christians for some time. We like to play tricks, taking certain scriptures of the Bible to pin their coin against them. Jesus is saying that, no, love. Wish them well. The second thing he says, bless those who curse us. 
There are people who are cursing us. The lives that we should bless. And you will invoke a blessing by what you say. Never curse anybody. No matter what pain they may have given to you. It's not worth it. You see, Jesus is trying to say, this is what separates the men from the boys. This is what separates the light from the darkness. This is what separates people who truly say that they are believers, they are following me, and those who are not. How are you going to react to those who curse you? Bless. James chapter 2 says it. A, a fountain, it doesn't have fresh and salty water coming out of it. It either has only salty water or it has fresh water. You can't use this same mouth to say you are blessing and you are cursing. That's an anomaly in the realm of the spirit. We can only do one. Bless those who curse you. Number three, do good to those who hate you. Can't stand you. Can't stand you. Gossips about you. And you know it. And the Lord is saying, do good to them. Don't react. Do good to them. Do good to them. Do good to them. If they need help, help them. Do good to them. Yes, it's painful. Do good to them. This is where Christianity is like the rubber meets the root. Do good to those who hate you. Do good to those who can't stand you. Do good to those who have murmured about you and your work colleague told you. Do good to them. Do good to those who might even be your cousins or you might even have the same blood, but they can't stand you. Do good to them. And then the last action, pray for those who spitefully use you. Good to those. There's a hot message. Even the internet doesn't like this message, so it had to, to, to stop the message for some time. Do good to those who hate you and pray. Pray for those who spitefully use and persecute you. You may, be, you may be under persecution. For some of you, you are even saying that this year is a bad year because of what a friend did to you. A friend may have spitefully used you a friend may have been a source of your persecution, someone you said you trusted. But the Lord is saying, pray for them. Pray for them. That we may be sons of our Father in heaven. And that's why Jesus wants us to take these actions so that we will be sons of our Father in heaven. Now, try and understand this. We are all sons of God when we receive Christ as our Lord and personal Savior. That's why we became sons of God. We did not become sons of God because of works. But when the Bible is telling us that we will become sons of God, it's speaking more about becoming a son in sense of character formation and resemblance. Are you understanding me? 
Because we, we all become sons of God, not based on works. We became sons of God based on belief. We believed in Jesus as our Lord and personal Savior. That is why we are sons of God. But when it's talking about we should do these four actions so that we will become sons of our Father, it's talking more about resemblance and character formation. So that when people look at you, they can see that of a truth. You are really a child of God based on resemblance and based on your character formation. Amen. Let me tell you, God will not hate the person you hate. What makes you think that? Why do you want to project your hatred to God? That's why sometimes when you pray for your enemies, your enemies are still living. And some of your enemies too are also very disappointed because they see you living. You are becoming healthier. You are gaining more weight. You are being blessed. Do you know how many enemies are praying against your downfall and the Lord has frustrated their prayers? Why wouldn't he frustrate yours? God causes the sun to shine on both the wicked and the good. Our friends and foes, they all experience rainfall. That is the mercy of God. So we should not project our hatred towards God. God is not an idol. That's the difference between an idol and God. You can project your hatred towards an idol, towards a fetish, and then they will do something to avenge whatever. God is not an idol. You can't project your hatred to God. God is God. And in his mercy, he will cause the rain to fall on your friend and your fool. God is God. Jesus then posed the question to his, his audience that if we love only those who are brethren, and if we greet those we are in favor of, what difference does that make us from tax collectors? That's very smart. Because Jewish people, the people they hate the most were tax collectors. Tax collectors were what we call sellouts. You know, if you are black and when they call you a sellout, it's a very denigrating insult. If you are a Hispanic and they call you a sellout, it's a very denigrating insult. If you are a white man and if you call your fellow whites a sellout, that's very denigrating. It's a very um, um, racial word that hits real deep to call someone sellouts especially people of their kind. And Jesus is saying that if you do this, what is the difference between you and your sellouts? Because the tax collectors, they were Jewish people who taxed their own people four times more. So if the people were paying 20% tax under Jesus' time, they were paying 80% tax. They were They taxed four times more. For the Roman for the Roman Empire. So they didn't like them. And Jesus is saying that the people that you don't like, tax collectors, the people you call sellouts, they do the same thing. They greet the people they love. They talk to the people they love. So if you are also going to follow in that same way, what is the difference between you and sellouts? And I believe no Jewish person likes to be compared to that. So Jesus then said, on the grounds of treating our enemies his way, 
you will just be like our father. Ladies and gentlemen, think about this message today. And especially in this month of more prayer, if we will want our prayers to be effective, we better heed to Jesus' command on relating well with our enemies. Because our prayer life is at stake, especially in relation to our enemies. Look with me to our last scripture for today in Mark 11, verse 24 to 26. I'm in a holiday mood, so I want to preach very short and enjoy my holiday. Amen. <laughs> Mark chapter 11, verse 24 to 26. Mark, Mark chapter 11. Mark chapter 11, verse 24 to 26. I read, Therefore I say to you, whatever things you ask when you pray, believe that you receive them and you will have them. Prayer works on the basis of faith. And whenever you stand praying, if you have anything against anyone, Forgive him, that your Father in heaven may also forgive your trespasses. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. Many Christians are not receiving answers to their prayers because they are refusing to heed to Christ's commands on how to relate well with your enemies. That's why your prayers are answered. Stop binding demons. Demons have nothing to do. It is your unforgiveness. You have come to a place where you are not experiencing the mercy of God because you are holding acts against your fellow enemy. And Jesus is saying that if we have anything against anybody, when we are praying, we should forgive so that our Heavenly Father forgive us. Is it no wonder that Paul said in Galatians chapter 5 verse 6 that faith works by love? The batteries to faith is love. If you want to have great faith, please perfect your love work. Amen. In this year of pursuing Christ, it should show in our character formation. That's our theme for this year. We are pursuing Christ. Don't let this year pass. And then we enter into another year, 2024, without seeing a character formation of Christ in your life. May we resemble Christ. We should, we should learn how to love like Christ if truly we are of his stock and we are of his spirit. Amen. I want to end on this. I want us to pray and forgive anyone who has hurt and offended us. Let me pray. Let's pray. Open your mouth and pray. Maybe you have even vowed, I'm not going to mention your name again. But today, by the mercies of God, mention his name again. I want you to pray and forgive him. Let it go. Pray for the grace to release the pain and the hurts. For, for some of you, you are still being controlled by that person. Because when his name comes up, or even his memory, your, your mood changes. Let, let it go. Let it go. I want you to pray. Lord, I, I pray for the grace to release the pain and the hurts. 
I want to pray and forgive that person. That anybody who has hurt and offended me, Lord, I want to. I want to pray. Let the offense go. Let the offense go. I, I want to live a free life, Lord. Let the offense go. Let the pain go. The pain of betrayal. I know it hurts. Let it go. Because your prayer life is at stake. If you want to come to a place where your prayer is potent and effective, please handle your enemies. Handle them according to Jesus' prescription. As you are praying, I want you to also pray and bless them. Pray and bless them. We have learned from the scriptures. We should bless those. Those who curse us. We should bless them. Bless them. May it be well with them. May they never be unemployed. May their marriages work. May they have money. May God bless them. May God open doors for them. I know you pray all these good prayers for your friends and those you are in agreement with. Can you pray those same prayers for those you are at odds with? Those you don't speak to. Friday, you didn't even speak to that person. You, you both can't stand each other. But today, pray for him. Pray for her. Lord, bless him. Lord, bless her. May it be well with them. Yes, I know. It's like that gym session. For some of you, it's just like vegetables and water. You don't like it, but if you take it, that is the only way to live a healthy life. Some of us, we say we are Christians, but we are living a, a, a Christian life which is toxic. Help us, Lord. We bless them. Thank you, Lord. Give you praise. Lord, we will obey your word. We will walk in obedience. Thank you, Lord. Bless your holy name. Bless your holy name. I don't deserve it. Still, you give yourself.